Escape Pod, 362. September 20, 2012. Contamination. By Jay Werkheiser. Welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. This week, a cool story that asks the question, what price is too high to preserve an entire ecosystem, a way of life? Where do you draw the line? At what point do you just stop, take a step back from it all and say, you know what, guys, this is just too much. The cost is just too high. Whatever this Klondike bar is, it can't possibly be worth all this senseless hatred and horrific violence. Taliban retired. Let's get out of here. I just got season four of Entourage on Netflix. We bring you Contamination by Jay Workheiser. Jay's works appeared before in Analog, Daily Science Fiction, Penumbra, and right here on Escape Pod. This story first appeared in the 2010 issue of Analog. The story is read to you by Dave Thompson, host of Podcastle. Not to be confused with Dave Thompson, the late hamburger aficionado, Dave Thompson, the punctual hyena gynecologist, or Dave Thompson, the legendary six-fingered midget of ancient Eastern European folklore that steals away children in the night and eats their eyes. Just Dave Thompson of Podcastle. Dave just narrated author Tim Pratt's latest novel, Briar Patch. Check that out over at audible.com. You'll find a link in our show notes. So get your headphones on securely and your hyenas on antibiotics, because it's story time. Contamination by Jay Workeiser Ari allowed his skimmer to brush the outer edge of Nouvelle Therese's atmosphere. He tried to imagine air jostling the light nanofiber support frame, whistling through the skimmer's mag sails. Excitement pulsed through his veins at the thought of being so close to the blue and white surface, perhaps closer than any human had ever dared. Nothing but his skin suit and a few hundred kilometers of atmosphere separated him from the living, breathing landscape below. He spread his arms and legs, trying to feel the minuscule tug of atmospheric drag. Is that what wind feels like? His faceplate HUD showed a ripple in the magsail's yaw loop. The threat of a coil collapse brought his mind back into focus, and he hiked up the field strength to gain some altitude. He savored every precious minute the skimmer took to climb away from the atmosphere. Nouvelle Therese's secondary sun climbed over the horizon, visible only because the primary sun hadn't yet risen. He scanned the starry sky, taking advantage of the view before primary sunrise darkened his faceplate. Earth's distant sun was almost directly overhead, a pinpoint at the tail of a zigzag of stars. The drive flare that cut across the constellation chilled his good mood. After a generation of silence, what could the Earth people possibly want? Bah, figuring that out was the job of bureaucrats. Ari preferred jockeying around with a skimmer, launching and retrieving microprobes, and taking time to enjoy the freedom of flight. Before long, the Guardian rose above the limb of the planet. He'd be home within a half hour, pining for his next chance to fly free. That you, Ari? If his solitude had to be interrupted by a human voice, he could do worse than Mara's. 
Who else would it be? He knew damn well who she was afraid it might be. He tilted his head upward toward the spear of light that dominated the sky. A new ship from Earth arriving unannounced after all these years was reason enough to be on edge. I'll have your approach vector in a moment. Mara's image in his faceplate wore the drive flare like a burning gash on her forehead. Your drop was perfect. The microprobe will skim the atmosphere deep enough to pick up some dust samples, but high enough to avoid surface contamination. With any luck, some of those dust grains will carry living spores. We wouldn't need luck if they'd let us dive lower. Damn Earthborn are too cautious. You managed to get a pretty deep dive on that last orbit. She pursed her lips in mock disapproval. You're going to catch hell for your little maneuver. What? I was just dropping low for a perigee kick. Her laugh was pure music. Good luck getting the director to buy that one. She's in a foul mood. He snorted, momentarily fogging his faceplate. She doesn't need my help. Dear old mom takes foul to a new level, even for an earthborn. Don't be cruel. They earned the right to be grumpy. Maybe they'd be more caring if they hadn't cranked us out of their wombs like an assembly line. Have some respect. You don't know how long they'll be around. We'll be restocking our supply of earthborn soon from the looks of it. He gestured toward the light as he spoke, even though his helmet's cam couldn't show it. It warms my heart to know that even the Secretary General has no idea why Earth sent the second ship after all these years. She huffed. You have no respect for authority, Ari. It's all part of my charm. He flashed a grin that he hoped was rakish, before realizing that it was wasted out here where she couldn't see it. A partly suppressed smile bloomed on her face. What would be charming is treating me to one of those new beef meat burgers imported from the moon base. I hear they taste just like natural meat back on Earth. And who would know? The Earthborn are so old, even their taste buds are dying. Her head shook back and forth in his faceplate. You shouldn't be talking like that on an open channel. All right, I'll be good, he grinned. Now are you going to give me an approach vector, or am I going to do another orbit? Uh, hold on a sec. Ari, I have the director on the line. What? Did she hear? Shh, I'm getting instructions now. She probably just wants to bust my ass about dropping too deep into the atmosphere. Heaven forbid we risk contaminating their precious, pristine planet with my ashes. Okay, she's sending a new orbit for you. What the hell? She wants me to take another lap? Is something wrong with the microprobe? No, the probe's fine. I don't like this, Ari. She wants me to sign off. She's taking over... Mara's image dissolved into the black of the sky. He turned his focus back to the Guardian, wondering what was going on there. The bright point of light now high above the horizon line offered no answers. After an endless pause, the incoming message indicator lit. The director's gaunt face floated before him. She looked desiccated, like a corpse left outside to vacuum dry. A specter from a distant world, Ari thought. The new world is ours to explore, not theirs. Explore, but never touch. Her sunken eyes pinned Ari in place. Skimmer pilot, report your status. The voice was scratchy and hoarse, weary from two hundred years of life, yet still it carried the aura of authority. He eyeballed the drop-down at the top left of his faceplate and brought up the system check display.
The bioscrubbers were pumping out oxygen faster than he could breathe it. The O2 tanks were full. The magsail loops were well below the critical temperature where they would stop superconducting. Nominal, ma'am. After a moment's pause, he added, except the radio, I lost contact with shipboard control. But that's not a malfunction. I know. She nodded slowly, carefully, as though afraid her neck might snap. For security, I will be your only contact with the Guardian during the mission. That put a lump in his throat. And what mission is that? She gazed at him, unmoving for a long moment. A small vessel has entered orbit of the planet. Not one of ours, I assume. He glanced once again at the enigmatic flare from Earth. They're pretty far out and still under heavy deceleration. I'd have expected them to wait until they made orbit. Clearly Earth's propulsion technology has improved since we left. So the Earth people put a, what, probe or something into orbit? What am I going to be able to do about it? A shuttle. For now, just observe. You're the only manned asset I have on orbit at the moment. Asset? That's all I am to her? Before he could say anything, his HUD indicator signaled an incoming data packet. New orbital parameters. He eyeballed the drop-down at the top left of his faceplate and brought up a visual overlay. The orbit was eccentric, with a perigee lower than he had ever gone. His heart skipped at the thought. Permission to skim the upper atmosphere? Hell yeah! Excitement bubbling in his veins, he hardly noticed when the director disconnected. The forbidden dream, to touch a living world, was about to come one step closer. But to touch was to contaminate, he knew. To introduce his alien proteins and nucleic acids into an ecosystem that might not be able to handle them. We'd never know what was native and what was from Earth. We lose irreplaceable data. All true, but so damn frustrating. His altitude grew gradually toward apogee, giving Ari plenty of time to stare at the living world below. His eyes traced the arc of a coastline, vivid blue overlaid on shades of tan and green, until he lost it in swirled white clouds. He tried to imagine what it would be like to stand on that beach, to feel the moist wind in his face. What sounds would there be? What did it smell like? Um, Ari? Mara's voice, tight with stress, startled him. I'm defying orders by contacting you, so I'll have to make this quick. He glanced up at the curved horizon line. The Guardian was a bright light shimmering through the upper edge of atmosphere. What's wrong? They're planning to land. Who? The people from Earth? Nonsense. They sent us to preserve the ecosystem. They wouldn't risk contaminating it. Atmospheric distortion crackled in his ear. Their ancestors sent our mothers. We were frozen embryos when that decision was made. Attitudes back on Earth may have changed. How dare they risk destroying a lifetime of study? How dare they touch the world, experience it up close, achieve his dream? And what the hell was Ari supposed to do about it? Somehow, solitude had lost its charm. He busied himself by fiddling with the radio. Maybe the director hadn't shut down his emergency channel. His heart thumped in his chest when he found the radio wouldn't respond to his command. His oxygen use indicator briefly flashed yellow. 
He was using oxygen faster than the bioscrubber was producing it. He forced his breathing into a practiced rhythm, slow and steady. No sense depleting the O2 tanks unnecessarily. He eyeballed the radio diagnostic software. Red error messages scrolled up his faceplate. The radio was fried. Wait, the content of the error messages belatedly registered. The radio was fine. It was the software that was fried. And how exactly did that happen? The director's data packet must have contained more than orbital data. She really doesn't want me contacting anyone. What else did she sabotage? Hell with her. He looked up along the skimmer's carbon fiber frame. The mag sail's superconducting loops doubled as his radio antenna. The kilometer-long nanofiber filaments that made the loops were invisibly thin, and even if he could see them, he wouldn't have been able to manipulate them by hand, not without risking a coil collapse. Without those superconducting coils pushing against Nouvelle Therese's magnetosphere, he would have no way to maneuver. That left the backup transceiver, a small dish mounted on the bottom of the skimmer's frame. The software for that was scrambled too, but it should be easy enough to write a few lines of code to keep it aimed at the nearest geosynchronous relay satellite, if he remembered its longitude correctly. He activated the faceplate keyboard. Writing code by eyeball was frustratingly slow. His temples throbbed with stress by the time he was ready to test it. Unidentified craft. Was that a voice in the static? He tweaked the longitude value by a fraction of a degree. Shuttle Feynman to unidentified craft. Can you respond? Ari's heart tried to claw its way out of his chest. I'm a skimmer jockey, not a diplomat. He blew out a few deep breaths and eyeballed the transmit icon. Are you really from Earth? His voice wavered, raising in pitch as he spoke. Stupid first words. That we are. We've come to join the colony, only we can't seem to find any of your settlements. Settlements? On the surface, you mean? We study the surface remotely, from orbit. You're kidding. Ari hesitated, his mouth open, unsure what to say. He wished he could talk to Mara. You got a name, son? My name's Ari. Well, Ari, you might want to give your orbit a nudge. You're going to pass dangerously close to us. He pulled down the graphics overlay on his HUD. The skimmer's nanoprocessor had located the Earth shuttle and showed its projected orbit as a bright green curve. Sure enough, his orbit intersected it near perigee. Sorry about that, Earth ship. Oh, hell. Call me Bill. Ari eyeballed the nav drop-down, nudged the magsail's current. Override. What the hell? He tried again, with the same result. Um, Bill, I'm having a bit of a problem here. You'll have to clear a path for me. Understood. There was a long pause while Bill attended to whatever details he had to take care of. I'll fire a quick burn, push myself above and behind you. There's gonna be hell to pay, though. I'll delay my landing by at least two orbits. You can't land. And why would that be, son? That's a unique ecology down there, something new and alien. He repeated the words almost verbatim from the school vids. It needs to be preserved. Introducing Earth life before we understand it could be disastrous.
You came all this way just to hang in orbit and watch? Observe, study, report. Our mothers have been sending yearly data bursts back to Earth since they got here. Records from before the war are sketchy. The receiver stations must have been lost. War? A queasy feeling rose in his stomach. After a long moment, he managed to say, The Earthborn taught us that Earth was unified. What? Oh, you mean the UN? Broke up years ago when the Chinese seceded. You didn't get any of our data bursts? All we knew is that there was a colony at Alpha Centauri. We came prepared to conquer the wilderness, not for life in orbit. Hell, our anti-rad meds are almost gone. Meds? Why not use gene therapy? My adrenal cortex produces all the androstein all I need to keep me safe from radiation. You're genetically engineered. No, we use gene therapy. We're hoping to engineer the genes directly into the next generation, save them from the booster shots. There was a long pause. We have laws against that. Earth laws? They're four light years away. Huh. Maybe. Attitudes are harder to change than laws. There's a lot of people who would die before they pollute their bodies with foreign genes. Ari shook his head behind his faceplate, even though he had an audio-only connection. I guess I just don't understand Earth people. Goes both ways, son. I couldn't imagine living my whole life in a tin can. Not a tin can, but surely cramped quarters compared to an entire planet. How can we even begin to relate to them? Unsure what to say, he let the silence drag on. His eyes drifted back to the HUD. The shuttle's projected orbit shifted slowly, sluggishly, yet the orbit still intersected. His skimmer was adjusting the magsail current automatically, maintaining a collision course. He manually cranked the pitch loop's current. Override. Panic rising up in his throat, he desperately scanned the horizon line for the Earth shuttle. Not a chance. Even if it were naked eye visible, it would still be below the horizon. Incoming message. He nearly jumped out of his skin suit when the light came on. He eyeballed the receive icon. The director's skeletal image appeared on his faceplate, her eyes stern, her jaws set. Break off communication with the Earth shuttle at once. He almost welcomed the familiarity of her emotionless tone her lifeless face. I'm just trying to understand them, ma'am. He felt like a child standing before her judgment. Unacceptable. You will communicate with no one. You've gone to a whole lot of trouble to keep me quiet. What are you trying to hide? She sighed, a rasping groan from her lungs. They are dangerous. He nodded involuntarily. They very well might be. But how did she know that? How did she know that the craft was a manned shuttle, or that they were planning to land? You've been in communication with the Earth ship. It was an accusation, not a question. She stared long and hard. The fire in her eyes faded. A slow, stiff nod confirmed a suspicion. The Secretary General has been negotiating with their leaders. They won't listen to reason. You hid it from us. All this time you knew they were coming, what they intended, and you kept us in the dark. The realization struck Ari square in the chest. He knew more than was good for him. And, just, what is my mission? His voice quivered. 
We cannot allow them to contaminate the ecosystem. I am truly sorry. You uploaded a virus with your data packet, took over control of my mag sails. A glance at the HUD overlay showed the orbit still intersecting, despite the Earth shuttle's evasive maneuvers. Even a light craft like the skimmer, maybe a hundred fifty kilos of man and support frame, became a deadly projectile at orbital speed. He would do significant damage to the Earth shuttle, if not turn it to slag. She sat motionless for an eternity, while Ari waited to hear his death sentence. The oxygen-use telltale flashed yellow in his faceplate, and he realized that he was breathing fast and hard. Finally, she spoke. So many sacrifices. So that's it. Let me talk to Mara. You owe me at least that much. Her head moved sluggishly from side to side. I cannot allow you to communicate with anyone on this ship. I'll relay a message for you. No, thanks. Who is your gestational mother, young man? You are. Her gaze wavered for just a moment. Oh. There have been so many. Her eyes no longer focused on Ari, but on the distant past behind him. He broke contact, allowing his silence to speak for him. Her image winked out, leaving him with nothing but the drumbeat of his pulse in his ears. The stars ahead, just above the horizon line, wavered with atmospheric distortion. The living landscape below slid past him as he drifted inexorably toward extinction. What price is too high to preserve an ecosystem? The director had made her answer clear. Uh, Ari. He jerked to attention at the sound of the Earthman's voice in his helmet. You mind shifting your course away from us? Damn. Um, yeah, I have a real problem here. You need to abort your landing. Head back to your ship. No can do. Orders and all that. Listen, the Secretary General is serious about this. If you try to land, we're going to be orbital debris. Oh, hell. Why would you want to do that? She's using me as a guided missile, and I can't do a damn thing about it. This thing steers like a pig, son. Even if I started a burn right now, you'd be here before I broke orbit. I don't think we're going to live through this. There was a long silence. Finally, Bill's voice came through soft and gentle. You may not. I have orders to blast you out of the sky if need be. They brought weapons. For a brief moment, the thought was more disturbing than Ari's own impending death. He wondered what kind of weapons they had. Projectile launchers, laser weapons, particle beams. His gaze dropped to the living world below, and he wondered how they might devastate the pristine ecosystem. We spent our lives worried about the consequences of a single microorganism wreaking havoc. What about a swarm of armed earthmen? But what about his own people, his own gestational mother, only too willing to kill for a planet they'd never even touched? He was dropping low over Nouvelle Therese Pole, heading for perigee near the equator. His HUD showed the magsail maneuvering loops pulsing with current pushing against the planet's intense magnetic field to shift his orbit, adjusting to the Earth shuttle's maneuvers. He tried in vain to crank up the current in the main thrusting loop to increase his speed and push himself into a higher orbit. Perigee kick. 
The nanoprocessor refused his commands. If only he had some way to adjust the magnetic fields. Particle beams. He inhaled sharply at the idea. He just might live through this after all. But the Earthmen would live too, and they'd surely land. What cost is too high? You there, Bill? I'm not going anywhere. How long do I have? We'll have to hit you as soon as we have line of sight. Even so, dodging the debris will be dicey. I need to know why. Why what? You have to know that landing on the surface will do immeasurable damage. Even if you don't harm the ecology directly, you'll destroy the opportunity to study it. It'll be contaminated, and we'll never know what it was like before. Why would you do that? Ari heard an exhaled sigh. Hell, kid, no one wants to despoil your world. We're just looking for a new home. You know, a place to raise children, without fear of pollution or fallout. But you don't know how Earth life will interact with the life down there. He swept his arm across the expanse of the world below him, as though Bill could see him. We'll never get another chance to study the ecosystem in its natural state. I'm not here to debate philosophy with you, son. All I know is that we need a place to live. Think how much more we can learn by getting up close and personal with the life down there. We already know a lot. We... And what do we know, really? We've been here for a generation. We know how the pseudoplants down there do photosynthesis. We know they use something called piranacil RNA for their genes. We know... We know a lot. I'm not a scientist. His words didn't sound convincing, even to his own ears. There was a long pause. You're going to be coming over the horizon soon, and I'm going to have to... His voice caught, as though unwilling to say the words. I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do. Can you hit me with a beam of charged particles? He hadn't realized he was going to say it until the words came out. His heart pulsed in his ears. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we could rig something, but why? Oh, I get it. The beam will push against your magsail and deflect your path, almost like a particle beam launch system. Brilliant, but the radiation would fry you. It would fry an Earth man. Maybe not me. Ari heard Bill whistle loud and low. You have balls of steel, kid. One more thing. My ship's blocking my transmissions. There's someone I'd like to talk to before this goes down. No problem. Ari could practically hear him grin. I can punch a signal through anything they've got. Nothing to do but wait and wonder. He looked down at the deep blue ocean below him and was rewarded with a flood of guilt. Is my life really worth a risk to the planet? Risk versus reward. On the surface... They could learn in a year more than we've learned in a generation. Okay, Ari, Bill's voice startled him. I'll relay your signal with a little bit of a kick. It'll get through. Transmit whenever you're ready. He switched to Mara's comm channel. Are you there, Mara? Her face appeared in his faceplate, grainy and pixelated. Ari, are you all right? As she spoke, her image froze, then jumped once again to real time. I think so. He knew she'd hear the lie in his voice, so he didn't wait for her to call him on it. I have a bit of a problem. I'm going to be taking a few rads out here. 
I need to know how much is too much. Her voice tensed. How much? How fast? Bill, you listening in? I'm here, son. We're getting the particle beam set up now. We're going to have to wait until you come over the horizon, so you'll be damn close. We'll have to give you a pretty big dose to deflect you enough. Call it eight to ten sieverts. Mara's image froze again, this time with the eyebrows knotted in concern. I don't know, her voice said from the still image. That's cutting it close, especially since it's going to come over a short period of time. Androstendiol is an immunity. It just helps you keep your blood and marrow cell counts up. His faceplate jumped to a moving image, still wearing the same furrowed brow. You're going to get sick at the very least. Ari, her voice wavered. Ari choked back tears. Hey, I'll be fine. You know me. I'm too insolent to die when I'm told to. She exhaled a tiny laugh. Bill's voice spoke in his ear, gentle and soft. I just activated the particle beam. You should see a change in your orbit soon. Ari waited. For what? Pain? Tingling? He felt nothing. He activated the HUD's graphics overlay. His projected orbit shifted to the right as he watched. Thrust is perpendicular to the beam path. Would it be enough? The orbits still passed so close they appeared to overlap. The Earth shuttle was approaching fast, but he still couldn't find it with his naked eye. Ari, Mara's voice in his ear was husky with emotion. If you don't make it, I will. But the lines still intersect. Her image nodded, jerky and pixelated. Bill's voice cut in tense. I'm not sure about this. Ari thought he saw a light behind Mara's ghostly image, low on the horizon line. A star? Before he could be sure, it brightened and was gone. The HUD showed that he'd crossed the Earth shuttle's orbit. He realized that he'd been holding his breath. He blew it out in a blast of air against his faceplate. Woo-hoo! That was close! The tension was gone from Bill's voice. Your heart in your throat, kid? Ari nodded. He can't see you. It's still beating, so it's all good. True enough. It occurred to Ari that Bill hadn't been sure they were going to miss. He'd risked his life for Ari. You should have shot me down, he said. Why didn't you? Hell, I'm no killer, son. Not if I can avoid it. He paused a long moment and added, You're not the only one who can disobey orders. Looks like we're both going to catch some hell. Your leaders should go easy on you. At least they'll get the landing they wanted. Maybe. All this maneuvering as my orbit fouled up. I don't think I could make a safe approach to the landing zone. I'm going to have to abort. Ari's eyes went wide. You're lying. Hey, a pilot has to make judgment calls. By the time the inquiry is done, word of this incident will have spread. Everyone on this shuttle knows what happened here. Your girl back on your ship knows. It's hard to keep information bottled up. You're taking a big risk, Ari said. Why? You seemed to think it was important, and everyone else seemed willing to kill over it. I just figured someone more important than me should make the call. Let our leaders talk it out with yours. I think they'll be more willing to come up with a solution, with their people screaming in their ears. Ari caught himself nodding again. Sounds like a plan. 
You better get your ship to send a rescue party. You're going to need medical attention. Soon. Rescue mission's already scrambling, Mara said. They're going to bring you directly to the decontamination lock. Decontamination. Ari chuckled. Mara's image looked at him questioningly. It occurred to me that no amount of decontamination is going to stop what's coming. What do you mean? The Earth people, he said. They're so different, Mara. Almost as different as the life down on the surface. I wonder if we should be worried about another kind of contamination. We'll adapt, Mara said. We'll have to. Will the same hold true when Earth life finally meets alien ecology? Ari wasn't the man to answer that question. Maybe no one was qualified. But they'd find out. Soon enough. <laughs> was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Let's go now to assistant editor Nathan Lee with some story feedback. Take it away, Nathan. Welcome back to the escape pod. Assistant editor Nathan here. Scoot over. My foot's getting cramped like this. So, find any supplies? No, I guess you wouldn't, what with us being marooned on this lifeless planet. How about some feedback? I've got comments hot and waiting from episode 356, Three Quarters Martian by C.R. Hodges. This was the story of the end of the world, which is bad news for the main characters who are stuck one planet over while the whole thing is going on, and it leaves them arguing over who's going to pull a Lawrence Oates first. Reaction was mostly positive, though not universally. Peter Tupper wasn't overly enthused, saying... I was interested in the opening of the story, with the astronauts on Mars struggling to survive while civilization on Earth crumbled, something I considered disturbingly possible. However, the ending was pretty much a rehash of the classic cold equations. I expected some consideration of the, the dilemma between die in an interesting place, making history, and maybe get home to Earth and be killed by some guy with an axe over the last package of Tang. But it was not to be. The driving emotion of this story is the urge to go home where it's safe, this kind of story is the polar opposite of the old-school Manifest Destiny Sense of Wonder space exploration story, with the message that alien worlds are lethal, ugly, boring, humanity has no business going to them. Seeker Pilgrim saw a different thing. I like this one, though it took me a while to warm up to it. I'm intrigued by the irony of the idea of humanity exploring the stars to better itself, while back on Earth it's too little too late. The Martian pioneers are not only watching things back home fall apart, those same events are dooming the explorers themselves. Grim thoughts indeed. I applaud the author's decision to put forth the probably unpopular idea that until we get our own house in order, get our own shit together, then we won't, or shouldn't, be able to spread to other planets, taking our problems with us. Viewing the galaxy as nothing more than a sponsorship opportunity, a chance to plant our flag like this story. Lisa Valisa asked of the thread, did anyone else suspect that all of the straws were long and he just waited for the last one to be drawn before going, Well, I'm dead, and then scampering off before they can look at his straw? A fair number of listeners agreed that this sounded about right. That's all we've got for this week. Join us next week when we amputate a leg and settle in for a stew of episode 357, Connoisseurs of the Eccentric. I'm just going out. I may be sometime. Thanks, Nathan.
All right, folks, that's our show. You know the drill. If you enjoy Escape Pod and all the awesome free science fiction we bring you week to week, consider throwing a donation our way via the donation links on our website, escapepod.org. We really appreciate whatever you can give. Escape Pod's a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Our opening music was used with the permission of Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.com. And our closing quotation this week comes from Albert Camus, who said, Culture, the cry of men in face of their destiny. <laughs>